my name is Simi J. Patoka. My pronouns are they, them. And my name is Hannah Crawford, and my pronouns are she, her. And we are the Dreaming Divas. Welcome. We are a podcast aimed to inspire and educate young artists exploring the classical music industry. We have a wide variety of guests to explore the perspective of what a career in the musical arts looks like from our modern era. And today we have the immense pleasure of chatting with Taylor Strand, who is a speech language pathologist at the Voice Clinic at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto, Ontario. We had some really interesting and educational conversations about speech to language pathology, vocal injury, and gender affirming vocal training. Um, before we get to the interview, we would like to acknowledge the lands that we reside on in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and the greater area that are not our own, but rather taken from the territory we live, breathe, work, and love upon. We acknowledge the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabewaki, Mississauga, Wendake, Neon-Winseo, and neutral peoples who are the traditional stewards of these lands. We vow to be present and be okay with being uncomfortable in the practice of acknowledging land that is not our own. We take time to know, to say, and realize that our Indigenous hosts are still with us in spirit and in real life, taking up space in their rightful lands. We vow to let go of expectation of being in charge, but rather letting our Indigenous neighbours take charge as we stand with them in solidarity. We ask you, are you listening? Are you learning? Being in this season, we are great, we are extremely grateful for the grounds, waters, and creatures that these lands provide and do not take for granted their beauty. It is up to us to take action to protect these lands as they are not here for us, but with us. Taylor, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We were really excited to have you on. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Would you like to start us off with your land acknowledgement? Absolutely. So I'm Taylor. I'm a white settler originally from Minnesota Makoche, which is the traditional homeland of the Dakota, Iote, and Ojibwe. I moved to this territory 20 years ago which is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis, and is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. As a white settler of these lands, I recognize that the standard of living I enjoy today is the result of the stewardship and forced sacrifices of the original inhabitants of these territories. I think it's important to take some actions towards reconciliation as a healthcare worker. And some of the actions I've recently taken include listening to stories of those members of Indigenous communities who have experienced harm and trauma at the hands of other healthcare workers. And I've been actively participating in training and workshops that work towards building more anti-oppressive practices within our system. Upcoming on November 14th, I will be starting an eight-week Sanyas Indigenous Cultural Safety Training Program, which aims to correct and transform the societal systems that continue to harm Indigenous peoples. And I look forward to strengthening my knowledge, awareness, and skills for working and providing service to Indigenous peoples and communities as part of my practice as a speech-language pathologist and beyond. Wow. That was, that was beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, thank you. We always like to start off with a little bit of a 60 second life story. Feel free to leave in all the good bits, 
Um, our last interviewer went way over. So it's okay if you do, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're ready, I will press the good old start button. Sounds good. I talk fast, so good luck to me. <laughs> Go for it. All right. Uh, I was born in the States, obviously, Minnesota. I moved to Canada at the ripe old age of 18. Uh, I came up here for school. I went to opera school. I went to uh, Glenn Gould School at first, spent a year there, and then switched to U of T uh, in 2003 for a Bachelor of Music. I studied with Jean McPhail, uh, coached with David Eliakis. I uh, finished that up. I contemplated a master's degree. I even got into a couple schools in the States, but I had a change of heart. I decided to stay in Canada. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine leaving at that point. Uh, and then I ended up going back to Glenn Gould School for an artist diploma, studied with Monica Witcher and um, coached with Stephen Philcox. I sang for a number of years, went to Europe for a bit. Oh God, 17 seconds. Uh, Todd Boys sang, did all that stuff, didn't want to do it anymore, decided to go into something else. I um, did uh, SLP. I... Uh, went to Western for that and uh, wanted a voice job and eventually got it. <laughs> I missed We're a whole bunch five of seconds. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Usually, you know, there's a few things left out. It's okay. It's okay. That was great, though. <laughs> Too long in the beginning and didn't get it to anything at the end. There you go. It's, it's hard because hard. there's so right. much education. That, that's, that's the thing. It always is. Always is. It's all right. It's all right. I failed. I failed to mention my like children and you know wife and two cats and all of that. So yeah. they're in there too. That'll be my extra five seconds. <laughs> so what you're really saying is four children. Uh, basically, yeah, yeah, five really. I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm the fifth probably. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say I wasn't gonna tell your wife, but. <laughs> Um, awesome. Well, so kind of jumping right into what you reached out to us for to talk about, which we're so grateful for, because this has been an interest of mine for a long time. I know nothing about all of this stuff. So kind of um, just to start off, can you explain what speech language pathology is and why it came to be? For sure. So speech language pathology, I mean, listen, it's really, it's really diverse. It's really broad. You know, speech language pathologists deal with all sorts of things like, you know, kids, adults, articulation, stuttering, brain injuries, stroke, uh, all sorts of stuff. But also we deal with voice disorders. Um, and for what I do as a speech pathologist, it's sort of like a, I call it like physiotherapy for the voice. It's very similar to what a physiotherapist would do for an athlete with an injury. Uh, sometimes you fall and you need a little bit of help to kind of get back up. Sometimes you overwork yourself. Um, and, you know, much like a physiotherapist would help you kind of get up walking again or doing all those sorts of things. I help people to be able to get back to using their voice in the best, most productive way, regardless of whether there's an injury or some sort of discoordination or sensitivity something along those lines. Um, yeah. And I think for, for me, you know, doing speech pathology in this way, it's, uh, you know, it's really rewarding to see singers who already use their voice in such a high level way 
get to learn some new skills because um, even we as uh, singers can learn new things from time to time. <laughs> All the time. For sure. <laughs> and I think just like a, like a pro athlete is uh, more likely to injure a hamstring, right? I mean, like a runner is more likely to actually hurt themselves. The same thing goes for singers. If you're using your voice at a high level, you're more likely to injure yourself. So again, I see myself as sort of a, a way to help people uh, cope with, with injuries or with, you know, again, other things that are not necessarily injuries, but may impact the voice. Absolutely. Sorry, you go, Hannah. I was just going to say, do you, do you also, I, I'm not sure, but do you also work with preventative measures as well too? If, if you ever have someone coming to you, that's worried that something might happen as well. Absolutely. I mean, we see people all the time who, you know, are experiencing like a little subtle change and then all of a sudden, you know, they have a big reaction to go like, I don't know what to do. Uh, so yeah, sometimes we help prevent. I mean, we, um, so I work at St. Michael's Hospital in the voice clinic and um, uh, we also do like part of, part of what drove me into this field in the first place is actually witnessing the folks at St. Mike's come and do, uh, come and do some education to my pedagogy class when I was at U of T way back when. Uh, which is part of how this became my dream job. Like, I was like, that's so cool. I want to do that. Uh, so the we do we do a little bit of that in terms of community outreach and all of that. So I think, you know, that's our way of prevention. And then also when a singer comes to us in the clinic, who is maybe a little bit scared of what's happening with their voice, we can do a little bit of, you know, prevention and, and um, talking through, you know, problem solving problem solving, even before it's a problem, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So your specialization in voice started because you started as a singer. Yeah, I mean, um, as an SLP, I can't really call myself a specialist per se, just due to our uh, due to our college regulations, it's all very complicated. But I am, uh, I'm recognized vocologist is uh, something that I can call myself. Uh, a singing voice specialist also comes from, you know, just sort of my background outside of speech, speech pathology, I mean, with in conjunction with my background as a speech pathologist. You know, I, I was a singer for many, many years. I still sing, uh, performing. I taught as well. I was, a, I was in, um, I, I taught lots of, lots of kids and adults how to sing. Uh, I also am a choral conductor and an SLP. So the, all of that combined, uh, I think really, um, really gives me that sort of, uh, that special interest in, uh, in voice disorders. Uh, and something that, uh, yeah, something that I'm very passionate about is the voice, <laughs> clearly. Like the perfect storm. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect storm. Yeah. I'm yeah, the exactly. same way, though. I have, like, 17 different, like, careers in my mind, and they <laughs> all yeah. are directed at singers specifically. Yeah, I think that's, that's so many of us. Yeah. We're just that's obsessed so... with each other. That's, that's yeah. true. Yeah. 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 I think that, I mean, it's, it's so true, right? Like when you dedicate your life to doing this, then your whole life is dedicated to it. And I think, you know, we all, we all have that experience of like 80, 85 different ways that we can use our voice um, that all combine. So, yeah. Absolutely. But I think it's also like, even when 
and perhaps you can speak on this, because even when you decide that you don't want to work as a singer anymore, you still have such an attachment to it that mm. you're like, how can I still involve myself in this <laughs> as much as possible, but not do that thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think for me, I, I needed to take a little step back from it to be able to come back to it. You know, I, I took, I took, I mean, I, I obviously during my master's degree was sort of, I had like, it's a full-time master's degree to get into speech pathology. So, you know, I had two years where I was like doing very little in the music world. You know, I was trying to keep myself relevant, but for the most part, I was, you know, studying and doing coursework and focused elsewhere. And then even when I started my work as a speech pathologist, I didn't get this job right away. I mean, it was, again, you know, it's a little bit of a pipe dream. Like, I didn't really think that it would ever happen, but it did. Um, but certainly, you know, I was working in other aspects of the speech pathology. I was doing more brain injury and doing some work with kids and that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, I had to take a step back. And then once I was able to bring myself back to the voice world, it was sort of just full steam ahead. I think that's the nice thing too like the Toronto and areas super I mean I am anyways grateful for the voice clinic because it is a specialty that's the wrong word but we already covered that but it is a specialized (laughs) area for singers to go when they need help and trust me we all do (laughs) yeah exactly well I think all of us can agree too like sometimes there comes like moments in your own singing or like time periods where you're like, it like something is wrong. And it might not even be, but to have a place to go that you feel like safe, like these people know what they're talking about more than I do even about my own body. It's like such a relief. Cause like, when you think of all the opera singers in the world, how many of them really have that kind of access, right? It's true. Yeah, for sure. I mean, at St. Mike's, we're one of the few places in the country, really, that has access to the equipment that we have access to and the resources that we have access to. So, yeah, it's it's huge. It's huge that it's here in Toronto. Go St. Mike. <laughs> so, Get yourself um, an appointment. <laughs> yeah, so kind of diving a little deeper. So uh, a singer comes to you and they don't know what's happening. Uh, with their voice but they feel something's wrong how how does the process begin for them for sure so I can walk you through exactly what happens the first stop is the ENT we got to go to see the ENT I mean it's the equivalent of like if you hurt your ankle you want to know if it's broken or if it's just strained you know because uh, there's going to be a different approach for one of those two things not that the voice can break per se I mean it's a bad analogy perhaps but uh, we still need to figure out what the problem is you know for some there's like a polyp or a nodule that would respond one way or another to therapy you might need some kind of steroid injection you might need surgery all of those big scary things that are uh, less scary than they sound um but then also you know for some for many it's nothing you know it's a little bit of just you know you overworked yourself you're a little bit strained uh there's nothing really physically wrong with the cords you're just sort of feeling feeling tired for good reason because you worked yourself too hard uh so you know the first step is that and you come to the clinic um i often am with the ent's in the clinic or one of my other slp colleagues there's three of us who work at st mike's uh one of my other slp colleagues is often in the clinic with the ent's 
we typically do the history, we get a sense of your overall general health and then your vocal health. Uh, and then we do a scope of the vocal cords. So this can either be, we go through the nose, there's a little, uh, a little tube and uh, we take a camera to go down your nose. We have a look, yeah. we, we do what's called endoscopy, which means we can look with a nice bright light that uh, gives us a nice picture of what the vocal cords look like from a structural standpoint. And then we can also do something called stroboscopy, which is essentially a fancy way of saying we use a strobe light to look at how the vocal cords are moving sequence to sequence because, you know, the vocal cords, you know, move like this and they move at, sorry, I'm doing, I'm like waving for those who are on, oh, let me listening. I realize I'm on Zoom, so <laughs> only some of you can probably see me right now. Um, but the vocal cords wave and so therefore, um, you know, we want to be able to see all of the parts of the wave, whether it's, you know, the beginning or the end and because they go so fast, they travel at a rate of like 100 to, you know, 300 beats a minute or vibrations a minute, depending a uh, second, sorry, per second, depending on, you know, how low or higher voices. And so uh, we can't see that without slowing it down. So our strobe light helps us to slow it down a little bit so that we can kind of see the ripple of the vocal cords and how well that ripple is working, how well things are closing. So we see some interesting functional things for the vocal cords, which, uh, which tells us a lot. And then um, that helps us decide a treatment plan. For some, you know, the treatment plan is wait and see. For some, it's drink more water. For some, it's, uh, you know, like take a break for a little while, not a full vocal break, but at least, you know, relax a little bit, you know, don't strain the voice quite as much as you have been sort of thing. And for some, it involves coming to me as a speech therapist to kind of relearn some skills. So, yeah. And for I those listening to getting scoped is not as scary as it sounds. <laughs> I've had it done twice. And it just kind of feels like you're swallowing a pill. If I could describe it anyway, it's really yeah. not that bad. I did make a face for those watching, but it's actually not that bad. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of looks like a less intense COVID test. If you ask me, Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> yeah. And we give you lots of good, like numbing spray too. So we're kind, we're kind. I've had, yeah, lots of people don't get numbing spray. I I've done it both ways. The numbing spray isn't the most comfortable, but it does make it a little bit easier, especially if you have like a gag reflex. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, the other way we can go is through the mouth. We've been doing that a little bit less with COVID just because um, there's more uh, opportunity for, coughing, spraying, that sort of thing. Uh, so we've been doing a little bit less of the rigid through the mouth, but that's another way we can do it. As long as you don't have a gag reflux, you are good. <laughs> yeah. Options. We can yeah. do it that way. And that has a nice, um, and sometimes we get a really good picture with the, with the nice rigid scope. It's a little bit, the camera is a little bit nicer because it doesn't have to be flexible to go through the nose. So the camera just ends up being nicer if you go through the mouth. So, but Either way, we can kind of see what's going on that way. Good to know. I will be going through the nose. Anywho. <laughs> um, so out of curiosity, because I don't know if this is just me, but uh, sometimes like I, I put a lot of trust in my teachers over the years and I've been very lucky that my teachers are great, but sometimes like I'm nervous that the technique is not always the best. So I'm curious if you have 
like I know you don't uh like in your speech pathology it's not like a vocal lesson but is that right. something you kind of work on like to correct if they're if they're having problems or feeling something wrong do you look at technique at all I mean, certainly, you know, I like to often see what the teacher is doing by either like directly communicating with the teacher or, you know, getting at if, if, I mean, if, if my, if my patient in front of me is okay with that, that's usually my preferred method. It's not always true. Some people don't want to tell their teacher that they're going to see a speech pathologist and that's okay too. Like that's a, that's a personal decision that you have to make. Um, but, uh, a lot of times I will talk to the teacher just to kind of see what their what their goals are and you know what they're doing and sort of what the what the reason is that they might be doing some things it's often you know not necessarily the teacher's like fault per se that somebody ends up with a voice problem it's often just like I mean every voice is different everybody is going to respond to different methods and sometimes we don't know until something happens that there was something wrong right um there's a certain body awareness that you, you know we have to have as singers but you have to build that you have to build that knowledge of like what your limit is uh so for some people it's just you know they hit the limit a little bit um a little bit sooner than maybe what would be expected mm-hmm. so um yeah so i mean as far as technique goes my main role as a speech pathologist is more actually the speaking voice more than the singing voice. Certainly there are aspects of the singing voice that I can target uh, if that is something that is going wrong, right? I see a lot of people who have changes in their pitch and so higher pitches are sometimes harder or you know, somewhere in their middle range is acting up. And certainly in that case, I can sort of help work through those spots from a lens of kind of rehabilitation. A singing teacher would be looking at habilitation, like how is it working and how is it functioning? And so I have a bit of a different lens as a speech pathologist than a singer uh, or a singing teacher does. But um, certainly a lot of the things that I might work on may overlap, which is why I think communication is really, really key. Speaking though, speaking voice though is often a big target for singers because that's often where a lot of people actually have the most problems. I see a number of singers who say like, I don't have a problem until I have to, you know, go out at the end of the night after a show or I have to, like, I have to then network you know, the show's over and then I go afterwards and then that's where I get tired. And so it's often actually the speaking voice that's the problem. We spend so much time as singers in the practice room working on songs and they are well rehearsed, well practiced. And then we go out into the world and we use whatever kind of voice comes out and it's often not technically sound. Uh, and that's where the, like, that's where I see the most amount of problems really is the speaking voice. So my role is often, you know, I let the singers work on the or the singing teacher work on the singing voice and I more work on the speaking voice but it, it, it can be both for sure that's interesting you mentioned that though because I feel like that's where it goes for me I'm in a performance or for example like I I sang last night for some friends and we were talking afterward and I was like what the heck is happening like why I immediately go into like vocal fry vocal fry or like if you've had a really long day like it's a little bit happening right now too, where it's like, oh, why can't I speak? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and again, I think that's that's a, that's a common experience and one that I hear a lot in my practice. Like I'm I'm fine during the show, and then afterwards I'm done. Yeah, and and it's often afterwards where we get ourselves into trouble. Yeah, this is true. And then you see these like opera singers like Sandra Radvanovsky making like you know the Met opening night show, and then going out to a party afterwards <laughs> to celebrate the opening, and you're like, how do you, what? <laughs> Are you tired? <laughs> like, I'm sure she is. Yeah. Physically. Like physically tired. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I lose like five pounds of water weight while I'm performing. <laughs> I'm just like <laughs> for bed. Um interesting. Okay. This is so this is such cool information. So then can you explain a little bit about like when you start to actually work with uh with a singer? Like how do you like work with them what do you do with them yeah for sure so usually we'll run like a full assessment so an assessment looks like this it looks like you know a really in-depth history you know we take a certain amount of history in the clinic but i think during a during a speech session we're going to do a little bit more in depth like you know what have you been doing with your voice has this happened before you know when do you have challenges all those sorts of things we're going to look at vocal hygiene and sort of do some tweaking like you know, do you get thirsty? Uh, you know, water intake, you know, they say like drink eight glasses, but it's not often as simple as that. You know, some people need more, some people need less. It depends on what you're doing and how active you are and all of that. So usually my 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 usual rule is if you're thirsty, you should be drinking more water. <laughs> is thirst a common feeling for you? Do you know what that feels like? Then you need to drink more water. Uh, you know, also, you know, there's all those like, you know, in order to sing right, you need to pee white and all of those sorts of things that we can talk about. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, it's important. I, I, I look at a lot of vocal cords as part of my job and uh, you can tell when they're dry. Dry vocal cords don't look quite as nice or supple or they're not as easy to move as, um, as nice hydrated vocal cords. So you look at thirst. Thirst, yeah. Like if somebody's thirsty, it's often half an hour too late. You know, like you should have had some water half an hour ago. So we look at that, look at kind of how well hydrated somebody is from that regard. And then also like, yeah, what are you doing with your voice? Are you, I mean, from a vocal hygiene practice, is it great to go sing an opera and then go out for drinks afterwards? Probably not, like not the greatest, not the greatest thing from a vocal hygiene perspective. For some, they can do it and it's fine. And everybody, again, everybody has their limits. But if you're coming to me with a problem, we're going to look at it because that might be a way to, you know, that might be a target for us, right? Is, is cutting down on some of those practices. Again, not that everybody has to, it's not, you know, and not that you have to forever, but while we're working together, we might have to just sort of figure out how to how to adapt things ever so slightly so that you're not straining so incredibly much. Um, yeah, and then I look at, uh, I look, so we also do a little bit of voice analysis. So I have some fancy software that I can plug your voice through and we can look at different measures, like how close together your sound waves are, how uh, like in pitch and then also in volume, like are they, are they, 
are they the same? <laughs> are they the same? Are they different? Uh, we can also look at like voice breaks, like where your pitch sort of goes and where it's less secure. We can also look at volume and some other variables that we can um, start figuring out what to tweak and what our targets will be to tweak. And then, what? I, I sign me up. I want to be there. Oh yeah, I know. It's fun, right? It's fun to kind of look at your own voice and get a sense of, uh, get a sense of things. Yeah. Most, I mean, for most, most people who come into my clinic who are singers, you know, a lot of these various variables may be quite normal. Even, even if you're having vocal problems, sometimes we see like totally normal things when we plug it into the computer, it all turns out green, you know? Uh, and I think that just speaks to you sometimes when you're a singer, like just these really subtle changes are really, are really big compared to like, you know, your average person walking down the street, they may have a little bit of what we call dysphonia, right? Like a little bit of like differences in their sound quality and they may not notice it because they're not using their voice in the same way a singer would. So uh, yeah, so for the most part, a lot of it's gonna be normal, <laughs> but it's fun to see, it's fun to see. So, cause this sounds super cool and now I'm considering a career change. Do you like, <laughs> do, you like do this to yourself for fun? Uh, sometimes. I mean, uh, there's there's certain times where I'm like, oh, I'm feeling a little rough today. I'm going to like, you know, plug my voice in the computer and see how it goes. And yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's fun. It's fun to do. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> I want to do this now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right now it's like allergy season, so I'm a little husky. So it's always fun to kind of compare my voice now versus, you know, in a month from now. <laughs> yeah. That's really interesting. You don't sound husky to me, but also... <laughs> Oh, there's You're the cat. Clearly, I see the cat. You're clearly a soprano. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You're like, yeah, I do have the disease. Start. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, you know, like, I feel everybody thinks I'm a mezzo. And I'm like, then I hear my own speaking voice. I'm like, how, where'd you get that from? <laughs> I sound pretty soprano when I speak. I think it's the way I look. Sure. This is Marshall. He's, uh, he's, he's my uh, hungry cat. He's letting me know that it's almost time for his dinner, but it's like dinner is at like five o'clock. And right now my clock says 415. So he's not even like, <laughs> not even close, like not even close, but he thinks it's close enough. So there you go. I, you know, same. I'm also looking forward to food. That's just <laughs> how I live my life. So <laughs> I just, I would love to know a little bit more, more about we've, we chatted about this when we first met you was, um, I think an injury to a singer feels very personal hmm. and it's something that is not talked about nearly as much as it should be. Um, Simi and I have both agreed that injury wasn't really something you learn in school. You don't learn how to prevent it. You don't learn what the signs and telltale signs are of it. Um, so I would just love to know your thoughts and opinions on st stigmatizing vocal injury and being like, it's okay if you're injured. It doesn't mean your whole world's going to collapse and fall beneath your feet, you know? So. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's definitely stigmatized. I mean, the, the thing that I want everybody to know who's listening here is that it happens. It happens to so many of us. And actually there's like data on this. Like if you want like cold, hard data, uh, you know, my, my, my uh, speech pathology is like technically a science degree. So I have, I have lots of cold, hard data. We tend to like data. Uh, <laughs> and the prevalence of voice changes or like dysphonia in singers is just about half. 
Yeah, 40 to 50% in the literature. And this is across different styles. So opera singers are almost as uh, prone to this as like a pop singer. Like it's like 46% versus 48% or something. I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it's like, it, they're so close. You're so, you're, you're likely to have something happen to your voice at some time or another. And again, it's sort of like, you know, a professional athlete is likely to have some kind of injury at some point in their life. You are a professional athlete of the voice. And so you are likely to have some kind of problem with your voice. That's not to say it's like a huge pathological problem. Most, like I said, most people who come into the clinic, we're scoping and we're not seeing anything major, right? There's something going on. We know there's something going on, but it's not necessarily something that's uh is something that you've done necessarily or something you know it's never it's it's uh it's rarely somebody's fault that this has happened right yeah. you know um it's something that uh it's something that happens and and also this happens to teachers too so this happens to voice teachers just as often it happens to teachers in schools uh teachers are also just as likely to develop these things as as singers uh, it's about, again, it's about that like 50, 50% mark at one point in their career, a teacher will also have this happen. And I think that includes singing teachers. I mean, I don't have cold hard data on singing teachers specifically, but teachers in general are also prone to this from any age, right? Whether it's a kindergarten teacher all the way up through university professor. So uh, it, it happens. And I feel like, you know, teachers also feel bad when their students have these things happen like did I push them too hard right and again it's it's something that it's something that happens so often it feels like you've done something wrong but these things sometimes just happen every voice is different every situation is different and every time you go into a gig it's different uh, and your mood can be different and all of these things there's so many things that can impact how your voice responds uh, in any given situation, that sometimes the unpredictability of it all can make the make the difference between, you know, a bad day or a good day. And I think, um, yeah, I think I, I I hope that um, people can sort of see that it's 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 really really common. You're not alone. The other thing about coming to our clinic is you're bound by patient privacy. So you come to see me, I'm not going to say anything, you know, uh, we're going to, we're going to make sure that we keep it, you know, between you and I, everything that we do. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to shout this voice problem from the rooftop and we can work to figure out how you can still work with these voice problems. I see pros with vocal cords that you wouldn't imagine can sing the way that they can, but they can. Uh, and so a lot of times we can work around this stuff. We can, we can say like, okay, there's a problem here, but we're not going to do anything about it. We're just going to leave it here and we're going to find our way around it through good technique, a good, a great singing teacher, which you probably already have. And then also with a little bit of help from somebody like me to try to just tweak and see where we can, where we can, uh, make this something work. So there's singers out there singing with polyps and nodules all over the place who are still working professionally. So it's important to know that. <laughs> you may not know that. They may not tell you, but they're there. <laughs> I'm really glad that you brought up that like professionals have this happen too, because I, I, our podcast is kind of geared towards the younger singers 
but being a younger singer like I always just kind of figured like oh it's probably like earlier in the career or even in more like the learning of it that these kinds of things would happen because you're still learning to sing with good technique and you are taking on as many gigs as possible to build your resume and all of these things but it does happen to like the biggest names like Sandra Radvanovsky who talked about it on her podcast that this one's based off of she like she didn't talk about it until talking about it on the podcast and like that was probably a huge sigh of relief for so many people she's at the top of her game one of the most famous sopranos in the world right now and like she dealt with this during her professional career too so it's like a breath of fresh air to be like oh god okay if it happens it's okay it's okay It is okay. I mean, these things are all, like not life altering in many ways, right? I mean, it feels like it at the time and it can alter a few months of your life, right? It can make you have to cancel gigs and do all those things. And I think for young singers, that's way more impactful, right? If you cancel a gig earlier in your career, that's a lot harder to deal with. And, you know, you're well established and you cancel a gig. People are like, oh, that's too bad. But, you know, you've got, you've got 14 gigs lined up behind it. So I think young singers often try to push themselves through these things when, um, you know, where, whereas, you know, if you can really get, um, get the help you need and get that sort of uh, nip it in the bud right away, then I think uh, often it it doesn't have a long-term impact. Absolutely. Yeah. I had a, I had a really random question. Okay. This is, it's so random and I love it. How long does it take to hydrate a vocal cord? Ah, yeah. I mean, I don't know, uh, but I think it's it it takes a it takes a while. Like often, what I usually say to folks is like, if you're feeling particularly dry, it's often like you know three hours ago you needed water, or the day before you didn't get enough water. I think it depends on person to person. There's no like right or wrong answer. But if I, you know, if you're feeling really dehydrated, it's often because you needed water earlier. (laughs) Uh, And so I think the same rule would apply. Like if you're drinking water, it doesn't go right to your vocal cords. We, I think sort of, you can know that as a singer, at least I hope most singers know that Uh, the water doesn't exactly go to your vocal cords, right? It goes to your body and then disseminates to your vocal cords later. And that that's the part that takes time and hours. Yeah, many hours. Here's hoping it doesn't go to your vocal cords because that's where choking happens. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) We have a fancy word for that in the speech pathology world. It's called aspiration. So when you drink and something goes to your vocal cords, you aspirate (laughs) and then you cough a lot and all of that good stuff. And that's not good for the vocal cords. That's part of vocal hygiene. If you're coughing all the time, we're going to try to get you to stop that. (laughs) So the moral of the story is don't inhale water, swallow it. Yeah. Swallow it. If you need, if you need like immediate relief, then steaming, steaming's the answer. You can, that's the way to, that's the way to get like immediate hydration to your vocal cords. It's temporary. It's not going to be a, it's not going to be like a long-term fix, but it's a nice, you know, if you're like in the middle of a, in the middle of a show, things are feeling really dry, just turn on that shower or get yourself a little portable steamer. Yeah. Okay. The Vicks ones look great. I don't have a Vicks one. I have a different (laughs) one, but the Vicks steamers look so great. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a, you can get any number of ones, and they have like you know the ones where you can just like there's like a face mask that goes over your face, um, yeah. with like a little tub of water that just you know boils at you basically. But you can also just do this. Um, you know the DIY version is just get a tea kettle, 
fill it, get uh, your water all nice and hot, put it in a bowl and stick a stick your head over the bowl with a towel over your head. That's the that's, that's the right. yeah. That's the Every DIY version. <laughs> also pro tip if you're congested if you're like actually sick you're not even singing and you're congested putting either like one to two drops of peppermint oil or eucalyptus oil in the hot mm. water close okay. your eyes keep your eyes mm. open, but it will help the congestion <laughs> yeah awesome <laughs> but it also will make you cry if you open your eyes don't open your eyes sure yeah um, <laughs> Yeah. So one, one thing that I want to just like touch on is what happens in therapy, because I talked about assessment and all the cool, you know, like tweaks we can do, but uh, therapy, uh, therapy looks a little different. And often what we do is sort of figure out what, um, uh, what the best approach is. So there's lots of different things that we can do from like manual therapy. Like I can put my hands on you and sort of see, I can feel around on your muscles. I can see sort of where you might be carrying extra tension or where maybe painful for a lot of people it's pain you know like what what sort of muscle is causing the pain and how can we relieve the pain so we sometimes do a little bit of like hands-on manual stuff how can we relieve this what can we stretch what can we sort of what can we get at and how can we find our way through uh we also do some you know more like rehabilitation exercises like like uh, stretching for the vocal cords. So a lot like, you know, if you hurt your shoulder, they're going to give you some shoulder stretches. If you hurt your vocal cords, I'm going to give you some vocal cord stretches. This looks a lot, this is a lot familiar to singers. This is like tongue trills, lip trills, uh, some things like that. We may also do semi-occluded vocal tract exercises. I've got my straw here. A straw is a really good way of, of doing that. Yeah. You want to you do it? want to do it? What do you do? So basically you breathe in through your nose and then you just like, you play the straw like a kazoo. So Zoom cuts out all these sounds. You're not going to be able to hear it all that well, but basically you just like make sounds into a straw. You can, um, you can do songs into a straw too. So I often get my, my, uh, my patients to do happy birthday. etc uh so that um you know you can kind of feel the basically what this does is it rejigs the way that the vocal cords move it gives a little mm. bit of back pressure if you think about uh air pressure from below going to above the, all those semi-occluded vocal tract exercises basically provide a little bit of like back pressure into the lungs helps you sometimes build up some lung you know some lung capacity it also helps to just get the vocal cords moving a little bit more symmetrically I usually compare it to like sticking you know sticking an end onto a hose uh you know often you can get a nice better spray with your hose if it's got like a nice attachment on it versus if you just turn on the hose and let it go so a straw is sort of like a hose attachment <laughs> I use a lot of analogies in my practice. Some are better than others, but there you go. Uh, <laughs> uh, so straw phonation is a big one. And then some speaking voice therapy tasks. So, you know, singing teachers often talk about resonance and using proper resonance when you talk. And often they yes. get you talking like this. This is the very common singer voice way to talk and that's like using forward resonance a lot and um you know as far as what I do in my practice I tend to not get people to talk in that kind of resonance because 
not very sustainable and sounds very funny, but you can uh, you can certainly get people talking with a bit more resonance. I mean, I use resonance all the time in my speech now that I sort of know how to do it properly, but that took me a while to figure out. Um, so resonance is a really common thing, basically feeling some vibrations at the front of your face, having that kind of forward focus, much like we do when we're singing, can be helpful to get, uh, again, that that sound a little bit nicer and the vocal cords actually move better. If we look under the scope and we do some resonance, the vocal cords move a little bit more symmetrically, a little bit nicer using these tools. Um, and then we can talk about breath flow and that sort of thing. So that's another thing we can do. And often um, that looks a little bit more, so I can talk using resonance or I can talk using airflow. You might be able to hear a subtle difference. This is more my resonant voice. It's a little bit louder. It's a little more present. Whereas this is my airflow voice. It's not breathy, but it's using a little bit more of that technique of sort of feeling my way through, letting my breath go through the vocal cords. And so it ends up with a bit of a different sound. And some people like one versus another. So we experiment with how to use different techniques. There's other ones as well, but those are the two most common. It's almost, I, I can kind of tell by your speaking voice, like when you first got on is you kind of have like a perfect marriage between the two, I find, which is. Thank you. Like, I'm not, yeah. Something I, I get a lot of practice. <laughs> but like, as we talk about this, like I, I think Hannah and I were doing the same thing. Like we're now analyzing the way that you speak and we're like, okay, how do I do that? How do I mimic what she's doing? <laughs> I know. I find lately I've been having so much, like, I'm just talking in the basement the entire time. And I'm like, oh my God, stop doing that. <laughs> but I, I'm like, I'm singing a lot more than I have in, in quite a few years, right? Because COVID and I finished school and mm -hmm. now I'm else. So it's like, whoa, like my voice is getting a lot of use, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of that impact in our clinic because, people who were previously not using their voice are all of a sudden going back to their regular gigs. And after two years, two and a half, three, almost three years of like not doing as many gigs, it's, uh, it's hard. It's like, you know, going from, it's going from, you know, just walking around the house to all of a sudden running a marathon. And again, you're sort of bound to have some challenges after that, but it's possible. And we can, we can work towards rehabilitation with, again, with, something something like what I do or even just working with a teacher so absolutely one thing when we first had our first meeting that super duper jumped out at me was uh trans voice therapy mm -hmm. so, um I think you mentioned that it wasn't exactly your focus but you can speak on it a little bit tell me about that yeah, so it's something we do in the clinic. I mean, I I'm I'm just getting started in this work. It's not. Uh, it's definitely there's other there's other experts in the in the city beyond me, but um, uh, certainly it's something that I'm I'm getting involved in more and more. So, uh, gender affirming voice training. Uh, it's not really therapy. We try to call not call it therapy because it's more about training the voice, right? It's not that there's anything pathologically wrong with the voice. It's uh, it a you know it's just training the voice to do different things. Uh, that may be gender affirming for folks. So um, 
yeah, it's not like a medicalized thing. Uh, certainly for some, they don't want to come to St. Mike's for this because, you know, experiences in a hospital are challenging. We do this over Zoom quite a lot. We do see people come into the clinic and people who are comfortable and we try our best to make our clinic as safe of a place as possible. Keeping in mind that, you know, hospitals are challenging places to, for people to feel safe in any regard. Um, and especially people who are trans, non-binary, gender non-conforming. It's really challenging, but um, uh, certainly we can do a lot of this work over Zoom, which is which is nice for people. You don't have to leave your house. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to come at this work again with a singer's lens. Certainly the, the people who are doing this in the city who are more experts than I am, you know, have really have really done a lot of um, work on, you know, trans speaking voices, right? So thinking about people who are uh, looking for you know, voice feminization. So typically, uh, let me let me take a little bit of a step back in that, you know, when people are, um, people are using hormone replacement, uh, typically there are changes to the vocal cords, especially for testosterone. If you're taking tea, then there's a thickening of the vocal cords that naturally happens. There's a deeper pitch that often happens. Uh, for singers, that results in a fox change for a lot of folks who take tea. Uh, it also early on involves a lot of like voice breaks, hoarseness, that sort of thing as the vocal cords start changing. So we can help kind of usher people through that process because again as the voice changes and the actual anatomy of the vocal cords change you need somebody who's familiar with that process to kind of get you from point a to point b safely so that because you don't all of a sudden go from you know soprano to bass right it takes time it takes sort of um it takes uh you know it takes a little bit of coaching to to get down there so people who work with trans singers are often um you know, sort of navigating that. Um, for folks taking, uh, you know, estrogen, it often doesn't do anything for the vocal cords. The vocal cords, if anything, get drier and get a little bit, um, you know, with estrogen, that's one of the effects of estrogen. So for the most part, um, folks who are, uh, folks who are trying for more of a feminine voice, they actually have to do something else. So therapy is often the first target or training is often the first target for folks. So um, higher pitch is often something that people are seeking, right? To go from a lower pitch to a higher pitch, whether that be in their singing voice or in their speaking voice. Sometimes it's one, but not the other, right? Some folks are comfortable being like tenor baritone sort of range, but then want their speaking voice so that when they're talking to people to be more in the higher sort of female perceived range, because obviously there's different sort of range brackets that people are in. So um, working through that can be a little bit complex and a little bit complicated, but also something that uh, we, can, we can work through. Some people wanna be able to like, code switch. They want to be able to go from like a more sort of lower pitch to like a higher pitch uh, from time to time, depending on the context, depending on the situation. Folks who are not necessarily out in every setting, right, um, may want to be able to do that to kind of code switch around. And so for everybody, it looks a little bit different and navigation of that is a little bit different, but it's definitely something, um, something that we can help with and something that we can kind of work through together. 
um, making sure vocal health is maintained. And also you got, you have some success at doing some of those things. It's not all pitch. Uh, pitch is one element of the voice. It's a lot of other things. Same, you know, a lot of SLP related things. So it's sometimes language and vocabulary that's used. It's sometimes, you know, um, staccato versus legato, you know, uh, women tend to talk a little bit more smoothly than men. Um, there's timbre changes. There's also resonance changes. Women tend to use a little bit more of that forward resonance. Men tend to use a little bit more of that chest resonance, that sort of feeling. And so again, changes in that are things that we can help navigate. And it's not necessarily, I mean, it's, it's all, you know, um, you know, people might necess not necessarily want to make all those changes, and you certainly don't have to, but for those who, for whom, uh, you know, it's important that they want to be able to be perceived in one way or another, um, we can, again, help navigate all of those things. So, yeah, it's, a, it's definitely in something interesting and something that I'm trying to come at with a lot of humility uh, as a cisgender woman, something that... Uh, Obviously, like I, I'm in the queer community and all of that. I have a lot of trans friends. I have folks in my choir who are trans. Um, and I, I try to help navigate that as well. Again, as as, um, uh, as singers, right? We need to make sure that you're singing in a healthful way, no matter what your, your thought is. But then also, you know, trying to switch around and do what you want to do. We, as long as we can do it safely, we can. Mm -hmm. I was wondering, um, I was thinking about this. So for, for people who are on T, after your chords have kind of adjusted to it, can they go back up or is that going to be more challenging? I'm it is more, it does become more challenging for sure. I mean, you can certainly get into falsetto range. I mean, that head voice is still in existence. Those muscles still exist. There's a different set of muscles that get you into head voice versus chest voice, right? Right. And so those muscles still exist, um, but it does become more complicated. T often results in some changes in how, uh, yeah, like how high you can get your pitch sort of range. So, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah, it 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 definitely can. And as the chords change, there's there's likely no going back once they once they change. So, um, yeah, very interesting. Science. <laughs> Science. And again, people uh, like people transition in so many different ways. And again, there's gender nonconforming or gender nonbinary folks who just want to like fall into that kind of more like medium pitch range, that sort of more androgynous range. They don't necessarily want to fit into one way or another. Or there's folks who are totally comfortable, uh, you know, with their with their range as is. And we don't need to touch that. Right. So there's. 8,000 million different ways to transition and there's uh there's all sorts of different approaches that we can take to this kind of training as well so it's really individualized that's so cool that's super cool there's a content creator on tiktok that i followed dylan mulvaney mm. that's what i was thinking about too i love her she's precious she must be protected um and she so she is a musical theater actress singer and she did a TikTok, or maybe multiple, I don't know, it's just whenever it comes up on my page, but she did one where she was working with her vocal coach on feminizing the voice, which I thought was mm -hmm. super interesting, and that's kind of what you're talking about, yes? Yeah. It was just really wicked to see it kind of, like, happening in front of my eyes, so 
listeners check out Dylan Mulvaney she's a sweetheart she I love her (laughs) yeah and there's all sorts of there's all sorts of like YouTube videos about how to do these things and you know there's there's different um there's different teachers it doesn't have to be an SLP again it doesn't have to be a medicalized thing you can train your voice uh where we come in is you know if 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 things get hard, like if you're, if you're running into challenges, you're doing some of this work on your own and you hit, you hit a wall or you're not getting the sound that you like, or things start not feeling right, then often we need to step in and make sure that everything's going well, much like, again, like not all singers will need an SLP, but if things are not going well, then sometimes um, we'll step in and, and help and sort of guide in the right direction. So, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Beautiful. Well, that's about it for all our questions, but we ask every single person that we have on about what is your why? Why do you get up out of bed every day, go on to work and work with these fabulous vocalists, we'll call them, (laughs) every day? (laughs) Why do you do what you do? Oh, that's a big question. I mean, I think that my why is really because I love the voice. I think communication is utterly the most important thing that we have. Uh, I think that the ability to vocalize in a in the way that you want to and in the way that feels right is so personal. It's so important. Uh, regardless if you're a trained singer or just somebody walking down the street, you should be able to use your voice in the way um, that feels right and in a way that gives you the most amount of comfort and joy in your life. And so I think what I do as a speech pathologist gives back so much joy to people. And I think that's the, that's the thing that I love. And I see so many people get so many good results in this, uh, this work that I do now. It's a really fun area of SLP because, you know, a lot of times progress is slow, but with the voice, it's often like super fast. We can get done in a couple of sessions. What, you know, would take months to get a kid to say an R, you know? (laughs) So, uh, you know, it's really, it's really rewarding and it's really, um, it can be, it can be fun and entertaining. And I love, I love working with the people that I work with as well. That's amazing. Wow. Um, if you have some extra time, we'd love to do a little rapid fire round. Oh, sure. Bring it on. We have our matching mugs full of questions. Okay. Hannah, would you like to start? Always. Okay. Okay. Oh, I looked at it before I put it time. What is the most recent thing you have learned? Um, one of the most um, mind-blowing things that I learned recently was um, I, I listened to this podcast called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. It's like the, it's like the reason I get up in the morning. The other reason I get up in the morning. I That's love true. it so much. The other one. Um, yeah. yeah, they do. They do this. Um, uh, uh, Matt Potts is one of the hosts and he does uh, like uh, etymology corner, basically, he calls it. And they did an episode on anxiety a few weeks back. And uh, the etymology of the word anxiety is choking. It's literally the throat. Isn't that fun? I love that fact. Uh, yeah. I need to so listen many to times this we get stress and it's like stress hits you right here, doesn't it? Yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah. 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 That's my cool fact for the day. <laughs> That's hilarious. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Um, what is your happy place? Hmm. Um... Probably we have a really cool tree in our backyard. I think it's my tree. 
I love, I love just staring up at our tree. It's this like really, I mean, it's like, I think it's like 150 years old, this tree. It's giant. Uh, it's this old, um, it's a spruce. So it's uh, evergreen. So it looks the same all year, basically. Um, and just is like the most sort of firm trunk you've ever seen. And then just to to the sky with these beautiful branches. So uh, I think that's my, that's my happy place is staring at my beautiful tree. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you could travel anywhere, where would you go? Uh, I really, really, really want to go to Argentina. I'd also love to like tack on a trip to Antarctica and then do like a, a polar bear dip. Um, so but, send, uh, this, send this podcast to your wife, let her know. <laughs> <laughs> oh she knows she knows that's all good uh, she's like I, I'll, I'll let you do the polar bear dip I'll just um I'll be a <laughs> what is a guilty pleasure or bad habit you'll never break oh hmm it's a tricky one hmm what can I say I mean like I don't know. Right now I'm thinking about Halloween candy. So we're filming this before Halloween. And so Halloween candy, I'm going to say Halloween candy. We, we buy Halloween candy every year and every year I'm like, I'm going to keep this box closed until Halloween, but it never happened. No, no. Halloween candy. Never going to stop. <laughs> One time a year I get loaded up on candy. <laughs> what is the very first thing you do in the morning? Um, I usually, I mean, I got two kids. Uh, so like, I usually just sort of roll out of bed and go hug my son. He's usually the one that's, uh, he's usually the one that's waking up earlier and he always needs a hug. So I go give him a hug in the morning. <laughs> that's nice though. What's something that made you happy today? Um, I think, I mean, like, this is making me happy. I'm loving this. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, that, is very kind. that is very kind. I feel like we need to change that question to be like, what's something that made you happy today? Besides this. not this. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> it's very kind. Uh, everybody says this and we're like, True. we know we're great, but like, what else did you do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else did I do? Um, I mean, the weather is really nice. That's making me happy today. It's sunny outside and I have this lovely window that I do, that I practice next to. I'm virtual today. I didn't have to go into the office today, which was also very nice. And I get to just look out my window at the beautiful sun. So there you go. <laughs> okay. Who is your opera singer crush right now? Oh dear. Uh, I mean, I think it's always been Adrian Pashanka. I mean, like, she, right. I hope she does. She, I hope she doesn't listen to this, but she like, it, it always, it always is, and always will be forevermore. Yeah, yeah. I study with her now. She's friends. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That is so not what I was expecting. Oh no, really? Oh yeah, yeah totally. Well, you I don't know. What I feel like I, as a soprano, I'm strictly into mezzos, and so mm. I found it really interesting that you're soprano for soprano. Oh, interesting. I mean, my wife's a mezzo, so maybe I should have said her. <laughs> we'll cut it out. She doesn't need to know. She doesn't need to know. We'll cut, cut right to there. My wife. My wife. Uh, best advice you were ever given? 
Um, I mean, I think uh, I'm going to, I'm going to do my like speech pathology thing. I was given some wonderful advice from a wonderful clinician, uh, who told me I, I basically came to St. Mike's in like 2016 after I graduated from speech pathology. And I was like, how do I get the job that I'm, that I'm now in? Uh, and she gave me some great advice about, you know, getting some clinical skills, you know, through a hospital and like making sure that I'm really brushed up on my clinical skills more so than worrying about my voice skills. Cause she's like, you have the voice skills, like go do your clinical stuff and then come back. And so that's what I did. And it landed me this job and I'm eternally grateful and very happy. So, so get qualified. Get, get qualified. qualified. Yeah. <laughs> Be more well-rounded, I guess, is the advice, right? Like, don't just focus on the thing that you already know how to do. Focus on all of the things that you don't necessarily know how to do. You, uh, you know what? Singers can take that advice too. Let me say it. Yeah, it's true. Okay. This is my last question. What is your favorite drink? Ooh, um, a Negroni, hands down. I mean, uh, I'm assuming we mean alcoholic beverages, right? I mean, you can be whatever you want. <laughs> oh, water, water, water. Uh, yeah, water, yeah. yeah. I was, uh, when you said Negroni, I was like, Negroni Spagliato with Persephone. Oh, yeah, no, no. Uh, honestly, I haven't tried Spagliato. I keep hearing about it, but I haven't done it yet. I just like the straight up Negroni. Just give me a good old Negroni. I'm very, very happy. That's so, fair. I don't like bitter drinks, I but I'll never have it. Yeah. Well. <laughs> um, all right. My last one is what is the strangest or coolest case you have ever experienced at work? If you're allowed to talk about it. Who? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think, I mean, I think everyone is so interesting and so different. So I guess, you know, from, from my standpoint, they're all really interesting. Everybody's really interesting. It's like a little puzzle. Everything is, uh, you gotta, you gotta figure out all the pieces to the puzzle and put it all together. It's, uh, it's always fascinating. I love, I love everyone. I love, I love everything that, uh, that I do. Cause it's just so like, it is, it is, it's a little puzzle that you have to, you have to problem solve all day long. I just problem solve with people. And I think that's the coolest thing. That's what I was going to say. You're just an expert problem solver. There you go. <laughs> oh my gosh. Taylor, thank you so much for talking to us today. This was so educational and I loved every second of it. Oh, it was so much fun. Thanks for having me. Also, this is very off topic, <laughs> but it's very funny to hear someone from Minnesota pronounce it Minnesota. <laughs> I don't think I've ever met someone from Minnesota and that was really funny. <laughs> There you go. I can break out the accent anytime you want it, you know? I would love for this whole interview to be in the accent, actually. Yeah. No, please no, please no. <laughs> I, it's really I, hard I, to get rid of it. 